We are delighted to announce that there will now be a monthly tournament for the next six months. This tournament is exclusive to OneOuter.com listeners who sign up for a William Hill account using promotional code OneOuter when setting up their account. You can find a link to download William Hill Poker by clicking on the advert on OneOuter.com or through one of the links in the William Hill Poker section. You must use OneOuter as the promotional code to enter the tournament. The first tournament will be Sunday the 23rd of June 2013 at 7pm UK time. The buy-in is only $5 to keep it available to all bankrolls and listeners. There will be added prizes including OneOuter.com t-shirts and some excellent poker books. Of course I will be playing the tournament and there will be a prize for the player who knocks me out of the tournament. As well as prizes in the money in the prize pool, points will be awarded depending on where you finish in the tournament. The best player after the six monthly tournament has finished will be crowned the OneOuter.com tournament champion and receive a very special grand prize. Further details of the tournament dates and prizes can be found on OneOuter.com under the William Hill Poker section. I really hope you can help support the podcast by playing in all or at least one of these tournaments. I look forward to seeing some of you at the tables and hopefully taking your chips from you. So sign up for a William Hill Poker account today and use OneOuter as your promotional code and the password for the tournaments is Ginger, G-I-N-G-E-R. When inside the William Hill Poker client, just click on Tournaments and then the magnifying glass icon to search for Tournament. Enter OneOuter and you will find the OneOuter monthly tournaments there. Thanks for listening. Welcome to episode seven of the Ask Alex on the OneOuter.com podcast with me, Barry Chalmers, and Alex Assassinato Fitzgerald. How are you, Alex? I'm good. Thank you for having me again, and thank you to all the people listening. Yeah, thanks to everyone for listening. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you again. Um, as I say, I've not been playing much poker still myself recently. Uh, other things to do, but um, you know, I still enjoy these. I still enjoy talking with you and answering these questions and listening to your input on what people are sending us in. We've got tons this uh, month for, you know, this show, so tons of stuff for you to be getting on with. That's good uh, to you, hear. Sorry, go yeah, ahead. <laughs> usual plugs and bits of business out of the way. Uh, thanks to everyone who played last month's tournament, uh, the monthly com tournament on William Hill Poker, our sponsors. There are now two tournaments left. The next one is October 20th. Same drill, $5 buy-in, you get points, there's prizes added in every tournament, and the winner of the league will win a free hour with Alex Fitzgerald coaching, you know, one-on-one, and a free six months, actually no, it's a free year at PokerXFactor.com. Damn. Uh, Yeah, so actually I looked at the league, I'm not going to bring it up just now in case it crashes Skype and, you know... (laughs) Um, I think it's still technically possible. There's two tournaments left, and from memory, I think the league leader has 17 points. So it's 10 points for the win. So technically, if he bricks and someone won two, or if someone that's got like 10 points or 12 points wins one, um, you know, it's pretty open still with two tournaments left. So lots of chances for everyone to get involved, especially if you've got any points on the board. It's pretty much anyone's 
you know, league still with two games left. And even if you're new, if you jump in and, you know, you run like God and you win two tournaments, then you give yourself a chance. Uh, also follow us on Twitter at oneouter.com. That's at O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-D-O-T-C-O-M. And join our Facebook group, which is starting to get quite, you know, a lot of the regular listeners joining in. That's at facebook.com slash groups slash oneouter. And that's a great way to leave questions for Alex, contact me, any info or any stuff about the show will all be posted there first. And subscribe to us on iTunes. That's my plugs out of the way just now, Alex. Uh, how about yours? See, uh, if you want to, if you listen to this and you feel like, hey, this is a guy who could really help me with my game. Remember, this is the stuff we talk about publicly. There might be some points that I can show you using my desktop, using the tools available to me that will really get you going in the poker world. But that's only available if you book me one-on-one. So talk to me at assassinatocoaching at gmail.com if you want to you know, get it in, if you want to take your game to that next level. I really enjoy taking people to that uh, different plane of playing poker. Uh, also, if you guys like this podcast, this is an advertising vehicle, but I really do enjoy it. Uh, I really do have a real fun time talking to Barry. Barry and I do a lot of talking even away from the podcast, and we'd like to keep doing this, but we, you know, this is a business. So all you have to do to help us is just tell one or two of your friends, hey, there's this guy who's been playing MTT since, I mean, since Party Poker was working in the United States. And he's got some good answers are, you know, I, I really enjoy the candor and, uh, you know, the questions Barry Chalmers has for all the different guests that he has on this show. Tell people about the One Outer podcast. Tell people uh, to get on the Facebook group and we can do more of these. Uh, if you want to read uh, stuff that I'm writing, there's a lot of lot of free good content. Check out PokerHeadRush.com or my Twitter at uh, The Assassinato or my Facebook at facebook.com slash assassinato. That is a lot, man. This has turned into way too much of a business, man. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> that's it. And I have a gift sh- exit through the gift shop. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I would have laughed. I would have laughed, but I had coffee in my mouth, and I didn't want to spit on the picture of my wife on my computer. So Sorry, I'll, I'll edit your laughing like I do with the rest of the show. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's it. I mean, like Alex says, I do this for free, technically free. You know, we don't charge for the podcast. We don't even ask for your email address, one of these join the site, you know, sort of things. It's, it's all up there on iTunes for free or get it from the site. And as Alex mentioned, there's lots of in-depth interviews I've done in the past with like Helmuth, Greenstein, Phil Lack, uh, Chris Moneymaker, The Devilfish, loads of people in poker, Moorman, you know, so online guys to the old timers and stuff and they're all free, uh, and that that's the situation just now for regular listeners, but I do have some plans in the pipeline and stuff that I'm doing with the content, so um, just a sort of heads up for people who are listening now, just grab them while you can sort of thing, the old previous interviews. Um, okay, I think we should get to the questions, because there are quite a few right. from our regular right. listeners and supporters. Now, I'm going to have a quick look at them here and see if there's any sort of thread that would makes sense to start it off um okay we'll go with this first one because it's about coaching and we just spoke about uh alex's coaching services so this is from uh, amy m that's at amy 1112 on twitter 
And she says, what info does a coach need to assess client and advise changes? What is a common homework assignment? Uh, so that one's for you, Alex. I, I'm sorry, what, what is a common homework assignment or what, what does the coach need to know about the student before moving forward? It, I, th I think it's a double barrel question. It's what info would you need to assess a client and advise changes and what's a common homework assignment you might give someone, you know, an existing student? Okay, uh, yeah, what, uh, generally a lot of students are surprised that I don't really seem to care much about their results. Uh, that really doesn't mean much to me. There's a lot of painters that are far better than some of the crap they publish in uh, newer museums, but, you know, because they're a little common, perhaps they haven't, uh, they haven't gotten the same success as maybe they deserve. And it happens like that in poker. There's a lot of very solid players that haven't had really good results. And some of the biggest horses asses I've ever talked to who I think have no future have fantastic results. So, there's and it's not just because I'm jealous. It's really they have no capacity for learning. They just don't want to hear what anyone else has to say. Uh, so generally, what I look at is I I ask a lot of questions during the session, and I always tell my students there's no wrong answers. We're just talking about poker, and it's really important to my students during that time to just say whatever comes to mind, even if it sounds ridiculous, even if it's not the common. Uh, thing that people talk about in that particular situation. It's far more important you say what's really going on in your mind instead of giving me what you think is the right answer. And then I usually get a pretty good idea as to your poker acumen at that point, and I curtail the lessons into whatever I think is going to serve you best. And of course, you know, there's general questions about what stakes do you play? How long have you played? Do you play professionally? How is it going? Are you, if you play for a backer, are you in makeup? What's your re relationship with the backer? And it, you want to get, you're trying to do a tune-up when you're doing poker coaching. What I really don't like that a lot of other coaches do is that they just kind of watch a hand history for an hour and say, I would do this, I would do that. And obviously... They, they don't give as much about the methodology as I'd prefer, but they also don't really get an idea as to where the person's at in their career. And there's a lot of times a guy to, just needs to make money. He's in makeup and he's not feeling that good. So he actually needs to drop down in stakes, even though he's really good. And he needs to start grinding 888 I poker on game. Oh, on games, not around anymore. Uh, uh, party poker, these kind of sites, and start making some money. Whereas there's some other guys who, I had a student who never played anything but Euro sites, and he played from six in the morning till like two in the afternoon on a Canadian schedule, and he was just killing it. And you know, his my thing with him after talking with him about poker for about two hours was you need to move up. So obviously, I try to make decisions like that, but. You know, it's really it's it's about like a 20 minute process, getting getting a feel as to where you start, I where you started in poker, what you're doing right now. And then generally I'll get a feel as to your mood, right, as to the situation you're in. And that helps me make some decisions. An example of homework that I give is uh, there is a PowerPoint I'm going to be doing as my neck, my first like public lecture. I really need to get on this, but my wife does the PowerPoints and she's been just slammed the last like few days so i well the last like couple weeks she's had a lot of patience uh she's a physical therapist but uh she uh we've had this powerpoint for like a year year and a half i did it for a group of horses that i take a percentage of and i coach and uh 
that's not on Pocket Five's training because I'm not allowed to put it there because that's something that's been paid for privately by a large group of uh, horses and their managers. But I can give it to my private students because giving it to another like 20, 40, 60 people is not going to severely damage the player pool and the concept that we're discussing there. If, but so that might be something I send to you, and that's kind of like uh, it's a PowerPoint, but it comes with a, an accompanying accompanying uh, <clears throat> uh, word document that explains many of the hand history. So it kind of turns into a book. Uh, a lot of times, there's I, I've written something like a uh, hundred plus articles. I think it might even be way more than that. And then there's like 60 different training videos. And I've, actually, I think it's going up toward 100 and stuff like that. And obviously, if you have all the time in the world, you could just watch all of them. But you're going to get very tired at some point. You're going to miss key points. What I try to do instead is just, okay, look, this is the key point you need to work on. You need to read this, this, and this. And then the next time you play, I want you to try this when you're playing. I want you to mark the hands when you get into this situation. And even if you don't do the move, we'll look at it the next time we play. Or if you can't afford more than one lesson, these are the kind of hands you need to be posting in forums or showing your friends and asking, what could I do differently? And this is the documents that are going to show you how to understand these particular cases and what you should be ascertaining when you look into these instances and what, what could help you quantify if you're what could help you understand whether you're being profitable or not? And, uh, and the, the, this is the just completely lost my train of thought. It's, it's weird when you're talking and in the back of your head you're trying to remember something and then you start screwing up on the thing you're talking about. So you try to fix that and then you go back to what you were talking about and you can't remember it in the back of your head. Uh, yeah. There was one more thing that was really important. Oh, but I mean it's like a, when – it's really funny because the way poker players like try to learn is, well, okay, this session didn't go well. I'm just gonna go play another session. Do you think like Andre Agassi like messed up three backhands and then didn't go back to uh, practice and say, okay, we're gonna do a thousand backhands today? He, he, you were always focusing on what you're struggling with, but he sure as hell didn't go. Well, I'm just gonna play the U.S. Open and I'm gonna hope things patch up there. And that's yeah. exactly what poker players do. For, the other thing is they don't even know what they're doing wrong. That is the biggest uh, – a lot of poker coaches just tell you what you're doing wrong. But that doesn't – you know, it doesn't help me to go like, uh, oh, your car's broken. Oh, what's wrong with it? Oh, uh, your engine went to shit. Well, are you going to do anything about it? You know, like it, it's really convenient for me to just go, okay, you could do this and it would be – uh, it would probably be better, but you need to know what you need to be looking for in each particular instance, and then you need to practice. You need to set a goal. I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to mark the hand, and then, you know, hopefully if we do another lesson, you uh, come back, and then we go, okay, let's look at these hands. Okay, you did this right. You did that wrong. You did this right. You did that wrong. Okay, great. You really got down this concept. Let's move on to something else, and I do keep a lot of my own hand histories because it was frustrating me when people just showed me an entire hand history and then, you know, in the course of an hour, we'd get a lot of interesting points, but not exactly what I thought would really help the person. Yeah. Um, just one thing on that, or a couple of things I would add is I've mentioned that a few times, you know, myself, I've had a couple of lessons with Alex. So that's why, like, as a personal point of view, I don't mind you know, like you say, at the start, we're all business, like our Facebook page, you know, join that, do that, whatever. But 
Um, when it comes to like Alex as a coach, you know, I was I was coached by him, and what he sort of does and what he sort of said there is he he taught me certainly how to think more. Like I remember my first lesson with you, I said just assume I know nothing, which was probably right. I didn't know you know nothing. <laughs> I said just assume I know nothing. You know this and that. I wanted like a fresh slate to think from because I didn't know what I was doing wrong. You know, I was playing and thinking it's just on, you know, some of it was running bad. Some of it was just horrendous play, you know, looking back. So that's what it was. I think, you know, if you get a lesson from someone like yourself, it's if they can do that, and you certainly can, and you did with me, is teach you more how to think about the problem in terms of approaching a hand. So that way, I mean, you touched on it. If you can't afford one lesson, uh, sorry, if you can only afford one lesson, then don't put it off until you've got like f- enough for five lessons or 10 lessons. Get one lesson. Uh, Alex sent me a, like a screenshot, not a screenshot, like a capture thing, Camtasia video of the lesson with the conversation over it, plus lots of PowerPoint notes and bits and pieces like that. And so I, I referred to that for weeks and I didn't get another lesson until a couple of months later. And, um, you know, that was enough for me to get going and start to, because it's not going to happen overnight, you know, as well. Alex probably isn't saying, you know, he's going to give you one lesson, then you're going to go and win the Sunday Million, and that was a result of that. You know, it might improve your chances, but it's an ongoing process. So all the resources Alex sends you after you get even just one lesson are enough to be getting on with. Do you think that's fair, Alex, to then see if you're going to take another one or, you know, if, if your bankroll permits? That I, I I really appreciate you saying those things. Yeah, we I I really do try to get I I really try to get people enough content, enough things to move forward on that they could buy one lesson and feel like this really lifted my ROI up five or ten percent. I I really just saw I I went broke a couple of years ago and I started coaching. It, it it just occurred to me there's something to this like doing. Like, it's really nice to hear how grateful the people are, and it's really fun to hear people enjoying the game that kind of took you out of poverty and you have a certain affinity for. And to just do it the right way, because I don't feel like a lot of people, uh, something we were talking about, we've talked about often uh, off air, is just most poker players are very lazy and they just want to play. It's more of a, I don't want to say an addiction because that feels like too strong of a word, but it's more of a, it's more of a passion. It's more of a, it's more something that they, they derive a lot of adrenaline from. I, I definitely am very passionate about the game, but I don't feel the same adrenaline rush as a lot of other people, probably because I've been doing this since I was 15 years old and I'm 25 now. So it's been a little while, but, uh, I really enjoy this as my work. I enjoy this as, you know, it's it's kind of a learned discipline. It's kind of a meditation now. If in my free time, I don't do anything in regard to poker. It's not like I don't run up to the my computer and go like, I am dying to play like 10 tables right now. It's I, I when I get there and I'm, you know, I'm relaxed, and I'm drinking my coffee. I, I'm like, wow, this is really fun. You know, it's the same. It feels like playing a game of chess in the park. But you know, a lot of it is just a discipline and a lot of it is treating the poker lessons as really consultations, professional consultations. If you would like a Camtasia video of it, that can be provided to you for no cost. There's a lot of accompanying, I can never say that word right, I don't know why, 
the, the real problem living here is I don't speak in like English, English most of the time. I'm speaking half in Spanish, half in English, and I'd never say a word like accompanying here. So then I just get out of practice and then I do these, uh, uh, I, in all my students are from different countries and they wouldn't understand that word either. I don't know why, but I get out of practice and I can't say it. But yeah, I provide you lots of materials that are private. I provide lots of materials that are public, but you'd have to do a lot of sifting around to find out specifically what you need to learn about. And we try to provide a really complete package. And I think we've been able to do that. And that's, that's made me pretty proud. Yeah, but I would agree. And again, you know, I give my sort of for what it's worth, you know, I've had a lesson. I'm still a fish and it made me less of a fish. Listen, that's <laughs> put that on your package. Alex Fitzgerald's coaching made me less of a fish. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't think it was possible, but Barry Chalmers is less than a fish now. So we, uh, we got him out of the woodwork. That's it. All right. Well, hope that answers your question, Amy. And as I said, you know, um, if it's about, you know, bankroll and stuff like that as well like we had on the last show someone asking and um, just there's nothing wrong with getting one lesson and then getting what you can with that and applying that and then seeing how you take on those concepts and then develop and then you know get another one your less a lesson when you're ready or when you can afford it um i don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that right and uh, the next question is let me see what one we'll go for Okay, we've got two ones that are like live poker. So we'll, we'll speak about this one. Um, Mickey Weissman uh, tweeted in, um, live poker is fucking boring. Fact. <laughs> um, what adjustments does Alex recommend making for live play compared to online? In my experience, people seem to widen their ranges by a huge amount live, and it's possibly even more aggressive than online. I'm talking about UKIPT type buy-ins of like 1k to one and a half k buy-in all right so first of all i have to preface this by saying i think i might be one of the like worst live players ever despite ept final tables and uh i made some 5k final table and i won some tournament in vegas i really feel like i am shit live like i really get whatever add you think you have i am a hundred times worse i was add before everybody and their mother was i was oh god he has add not i am so proud i have add i'm going to put it in a popular pop song so when i play when i play live i really get bored and i really suck so i want you to know that as we go in the first thing i've noticed uh however i have made some money at it so maybe i do know more than you but anyhow uh the first thing is nobody's gonna fold your three bets ever don't ever expect anyone to fold to a three bet until it's very late in the game and then you got to put them in a spot where people are going to feel really stupid if they do something to your three bet so if a guy opens let's say the blinds are 3k 6k and a guy opens to 12k if you make it like 27 from the big blinds let's forget the fact uh let's forget the fact that uh if uh if there's a 6K big blind, you essentially just made it 21,000, which means you just min-raised over him. He's going to feel like a horse's ass if he's looking at all that money out there, and he doesn't at least call. When you're playing like eight tables, people are fine with folding there. Uh, I, I don't know why, because they're getting such a great pot odds price that oftentimes m the bulk of the range that they're opening must mathematically call there or do something. But people online are fine with folding to these pissant little three bets, 
if they're tw- eight or 12 tabling. If they've been sitting there for four hours and they have to look at the guy raking the pie and they see that this guy didn't even like men raise, they're not going to fold. So do something only bad live players do, which actually isn't even that bad. Make it 36K, make it 42K, make it something he's going to be embarrassed to four bet fold to because, oh God, didn't you know you had Ace King or Pocket Jacks? And essentially, I won my first live tournament imitating everything that quote unquote bad live players do. Anything that a Scottish or Irish or British guy does who's 45 years old and doesn't play that much poker actually has a lot of validity. Those big ass three bets everybody respects because only the quote unquote donkeys do them. The other thing is you should see more pots in position because people are definitely... What, what was I going to say? People are definitely a little more apt to, like, break at some point. They're definitely – if they've been playing for, like, six hours and they need to find a hero full, they're, they're in one of two categories. One, they're super disciplined, and they just don't want to look stupid if they call off really light, or they're really frustrated and the buy-in isn't that much to them. In this age of everybody's backed, everybody got in through a satellite, they're usually – and it's just the cool thing now to look like you don't care. A lot of people will find that hero call when you make the small two pair or something. Go for, I, I, you, I rarely three bet in position it, when I play live, just because I think it turns into a pissing for distance contest with no clear winner. Everybody's gotten into the really Benny Spindler four bet, five bet, six bet crap. Stay out of that game. Just flat them in position and try to make hands. And, I don't, I'm not saying even make a big hand. I scored three huge value bets in PCA a couple years ago with jacks on a king eight five four four board. Now, obviously, that's not a value bet I can make every day, but that just goes to show you, like, people, if it's not for all their chips, they just call live because they're so bored and they want to do something, and folding is just so blasé and can achieve nothing to them. And if they can invest a little more Monopoly money to see if they can win a lot more Monopoly money and satisfy their curiosity, most people will invest the Monopoly money. So to recap, flat more in position, try to get thinner value bets. Uh, What was the other thing? Learn about overbetting because overbetting works every single time live because if somebody has to call an overbet, and show like a really weak hand, they're going to feel really stupid live because online people don't see you as much. And oh, this especially works for over jamming, sending the guy out of the tournament or the potential of sending the guy out of the tournament really brings the money aspect into play. Whereas when they're playing with monopoly money, they're not really going to look for that. If you're going to three bet bluff, three bet bluff big, uh, definitely. Let's see. Opening, uh, I think oh, uh, you you want to be careful about how much you open. Uh, what was I going to say with that one? You definitely can't like just keep pushing people as much as you can like online. Online, I really just, if I think it's profitable, I open. Because a lot of times people are like, ah, this guy's pissing me off. But, you know, I have seven other tables. It's okay. Live, if they have to sit there and watch you rake, rake in pot after pot, unless you really have a presence a la Phil Ivey, it's going to really be difficult to do. That's another thing. Do not be like the mean curmudgeonly guy. Every like live 
Uh, I mean, every online player tries to do that. And it is really comfortable to be in a hoodie and have your headphones on and just kind of space out and play poker. That makes it more enjoyable. I'm not going to lie. But it's certainly not effective. Dress like you are in some other business besides poker. Be kind to people. Do not make them feel bad about losing their money to you. Make that anytime you bluff somebody, tell them, oh, a good fold. And anytime you get you hit something, just go, oh, I got lucky on that one. Or I would have done what you did. Or something like that. Make them feel good about it. Ask people where they're from. Be kind to people. Nobody likes that jackass at the other end of the table with his Beats headphones on, with his hoodie pulled up, who looks like I am just here to take your money. Nobody likes giving money to a hustler. If you go there and you're, you're trying to be part of the game, you're a social part of the game, people feel much better about giving you their money. And there's a primitive social thing there, too. Like, nobody likes uh, – there's kind of this uh, – lone wolf thing you're not part of the pack we have to punish you thing that happens live and i've been rambling on for a bit now do you think i've covered enough things barry yeah i, th I think that's right i mean i've not played live myself since vegas last year and even back then i can remember um when i was playing live i played one of those tournaments that you actually won one of the nightly wsop ones and I final tabled it and got fifth. And you know what? I really enjoyed it because there wasn't many of these people that you're speaking about. Like when I was playing the cash games in the Venetian, they're sitting there with their hoodies on and their yeah, fucking headphones. Yeah. And, you know, like when I first got into poker, you know, I thought that was it. I mean, I, you know, I got Bose headphones and stuff like that. <laughs> I, I see you got the same one. I saw a picture of you the other day in one of your things you posted. I was like, oh, he's got the same headphones as me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, old school. Yeah, people put them out and like, you know, like you say, I understand these young guys, they're 18, 19, some of them are socially awkward, whatever, but, you know, smile, say hi, these are human beings, other people you're speaking to. Neil Channing wrote a really good article on it about what do they want to do, just rake themselves sort of thing, pass money around the table, you know, it's like, do they just want nine pros, because that's what they'll do if they scare off these recreational players. Nobody want people want to have fun when they're playing poker. They don't want to sit and be berated for every play or laughed at. You know, like, oh my god, he just folded that and he's got six big blinds. How can he fold it? You know all this shit. You know, it'll just put people off. Yeah. And before they know it, they won't be doing this for a living. You know, and with their skills, they'll probably working in fucking I don't know. You know, something <laughs> else. McDonald's, but that's maybe a compliment. You know, for some of them. Yeah, and I mean. I, I think there's something to be said for it, it. It's just it is far more professional to go in there and be a gentleman. And I don't know anyone who succeeds in their competitive endeavor who does not act like the part. I I did something like I thought was just kind of ridiculous. But I was like, you know, when I show up dressed in, I have a lot of like goofy ass T-shirts and. It, it, it's stuff that I just got from traveling around the world. I think they're funny. I have uh, everybody who comes in my house is like, it is absurd how many hoodies you have. I am I am a poker player through and through. Uh, one of these young guys. But when I went to Vegas, I, I I this year I said I am going to go in with a different attitude, and that attitude is going to be. I read this book. It's called Relentless by Tim Grover, and it's a it, it's the guy who. Uh, trained and educated Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. 
and he's off his nut. He's a weird, weird guy. But one of the things he said is like, you know, Kobe Bryant's the the number one guy in the room because when he walks in, he even if like he's injured and he goes to a game, he wears a tailored suit and he wears his glasses and he's reading a clipboard and watching how they're changing the place. He shows up. He is there. He is present. He is him at all times, even when he's injured. And I thought, when I show up, I look mediocre. I, I show up with a raggedy-ass shirt. I show up with my hair unkempt. Uh, I don't bother to shave most of the time. That is going to end this year. So I brought my, like, I didn't wear a, I get, I freeze my ass off in the WSOP room. So I did get, I got, like, a really good sweatshirt. And I'm ashamed to say it was Armani because I'm a hipster douche or whatever. I, I, I bought something stupid and expensive, but it was really comfortable, and I thought, this looks classier. So I wore that for the main event. I busted. When I came back, I put on an actual, like, button-up. I put on a vest because it kept me warmer, and I actually put on some dress shoes, and I felt way better. And you know what? People in their 30s losing to a young guy who looks like that do not feel bad. And they show you their hand over and over again. They want you, oh, this guy's probably a lawyer. He's probably working. Everybody thought I was from Spain, too, because of my wife, which was great. Because then everybody just, oh, you know, he's from Spain. He's nice and blah, blah, blah. And he's just laughing and listening to his headphones or whatever. He's not, he's pretty harmless. You know what I mean? And people just pay you off. When you fold and go, all right, you got me this time, they're like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. And they show you, like, I can't tell you how many times people showed me their hand. And it was like, yeah. and it, it was way more fun. And people respected me way more when I started. At the end of the tournament, I just started, okay, everybody raises, I'm going to three bet. You know, like, everybody let me do it. Because, ah, you know, it's just, that that's, the guy dressed like he's supposed to be here. He's like he didn't dress like I, you know, if you dress like shit and you're taking money from guys in their thirties who went and got college degrees and stuff, there is something very basic and male that does not allow that, that people do not like giving their money to hustlers. And if you go in like a professional and you're kind and you're an actual nice person, people are way more apt to give you their money. <clears throat> Daniel Negroni has been doing this for 20 years. I don't know why we're talking about it like we discovered it. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's true. I, I think there are aspects of the live game that you know online guys need to adjust and stuff. But I do understand the boredom factor sometimes. Uh, but I always find once I actually start playing live, once you're there in the moment, I usually enjoy it, and it doesn't seem to go as as long as you know. You can play seven eight hours, and it doesn't feel like seven eight hours. You know, it's like sometimes it does, but on the right. whole, I I, I kind of personally I kind of have fun playing live uh, most of the time. You know, I said something I really want to not take back, but something I really want to modify. You're right. Like I had a lot of fun playing live this year, and I like I I never got above my starting stack in the main event. It took me like all of day one and day two to bust. And it was like very long and tough and boring. And I was sick. I caught the the flu. Or not actually no, yeah, it was it was a very mild flu. I think calling it the flu is kind of being generous, but it was it was bad and I was coughing the whole day into my jacket 
and I uh, I really try not to like cough into my hand and touch the cards because I thought I think that's disgusting. But yeah. and uh, yeah, and I really enjoyed myself though because I was actually talking to people and like learning about where they're from and stuff like that. But if you go in with the attitude, I remember like seven years ago, it was like six, five years ago, it was super popular for online players to go, God, I hate Sundays. And always talking about that. I hate Sundays. Annette Obrestad even like one week said she, I hate Sundays so much. I'm just going to play $3 tournaments today. And I remember I wanted to hang out with Faraz Jaka because he was the only guy going, I love Sundays. Sundays are the day I love the most. And if you go in with the attitude of this is going to suck, it's going to suck. The other thing you can do is I take out my cell phone. I just write down notes. I try to take down a note on every hand, and that keeps you paying attention. And generally, you don't need to uh, – I put one headphone in, I listen to, like, a talk show, and then I pause it frequently. Whereas, like, if you're listening to music, it kind of amps you up or something. But yeah, uh, if you listen to something that's kind of eh, – it's a comedy show. It's, it's funny when you pay attention, but you can easily drift off. It's a little easier just to pass the time. Yeah. Um, there was another uh, listener that emailed in a question, and I think we've maybe covered some of it there. It was uh, Robbie Clapper. Um, he messaged in, how do you prepare to play in a major tournament like the main event? What is your different thinking processes going through the beginning stages towards the final table? So um, we've maybe covered like how you prepare in terms of um, you know, what you said this year, you know, you took it a bit more seriously, you, you changed your dress and stuff. Were there any other sort of changes that you made to, to, to play the main event this year? Uh, let's, uh, uh, before I get into this, let me, there's a, there's an article, you can look it up on Poker Head Rush called Preparing for Your Super Bowl, and it's about preparing for live events. There's a lot of stuff in there that I'm sure I'm going to forget to address. Uh, a big thing, a uh, big thing is get enough sleep. Don't drink the night before the tournament. Actually dress like comfortable, but looking like you're supposed to be the guy who's winning. Uh, see, what else did I do to prepare for the main event? Uh, there's a site that, uh, uh, there's a site, Tells Kitchen, that's actually really good, where uh, behavior analysis goes over a lot of different like micro expressions that people have. And it just shows you whether somebody's super uncomfortable and stuff like that. And it's crazy. There's like, there's like Daniel Negreanu like visibly shows signs of disgust when some people call him and he has nothing. And mm -hmm. they have to, this guy, this guy will like play a clip and you'll see absolutely nothing. And then he'll slow it down. And you'll be like, Oh my God, like this guy really visibly is showing you something. And going that I endorse the site because I watched it a bunch and then I went to uh, I went to the WSOP and there was like this young guy and they uh, <laughs> he was uh, number one uh, the number one online player at the time uh, I'm not going to say who it was because I want to keep this tell but he one of the things they sh said on this website was when somebody blinks their eyes a lot that's that's a distancing thing that's like they're trying to make reality less real Nine times out of ten, that's somebody trying to get themselves away from the situation. Now, the thing I liked about this guy is he doesn't say, like, that's a good hand or that's a bad hand. It's just that lets you know what the guy does. Now, yeah. the other thing he told you to do is you've got to pay attention to this guy normally. So nine times out of ten, this guy 
when he opened, he just looked calm, never just kept his eyes open as much as possible. And then he opened under the under the gun one time, and he was just blinking really rapidly. And I was like, okay. And I had some, I had some okay pseudoconnector, and I was telling myself, oh, I was gonna start three betting him more because his under the gun opening range was like 35%. I was, you know, let me just pass on this. And at the end of the hand, it turned into a big pot. I, I would have been squeezed out of the pot anyway, but the kid ended up having kings. And it was just like, whoa, this is a really big edge. And a lot of the talking I did this year was just to gauge how comfortable other people were. Because if you play this game enough, you're going to start becoming numb to like all the fluctuations. And if you talk a little more and become more part of the game and more... Uh, uh, more part of everything, you're you're gonna feel much better. And there was a there was another thing. Uh, Phil Jackson, he wrote in his book Eleven Rings. He was talking about I think it was Bill Russell. I I can't I don't even know if I'm getting this guy's name right. The most the winningest uh, basketball player in the world had eleven. Uh, he he won some, I think it was like eleven championships as a player. Phil Jackson has only gotten that many as a coach. He was talking about, I used to root for the other team. I wanted to be part of the whole game. I wanted, when they were winning, it was part of the whole experience, and it gave me like a heightened thing. And that sounds really ridiculous, but if you get into the whole thing and you know the people and they're nice people and you don't mind if they win, it doesn't really hurt that much when you lose. Whereas if you kind of stay in your own world and uh, you're just thinking about how bad you're running and, oh, God, it's it's been four hours, I haven't seen a hand, then when you lose, it's really going to piss you off. Yeah. So what about um, your different thinking processes, you saying, going through from the beginning stages to uh, the... Uh, is that really just sort of the way you would approach any tournament the same? Or, you know, if for... I suppose he's speaking about a tournament like the main event. It is much different, you know, from your standard online fair. Uh, I, one thing that Adam Sherman said when I was talking with him that really resonated with me is that, uh, and he goes by Squee451 uh, online, for those of you who don't know how Adam Sherman is, is there's some, like, little edges you will push, like, in a daily tournament or a tournament you play every day online that you will not push in... Uh, it, you will not push in like a WSOP main event because it's just retaining your stack is such a big deal. A lot of people, I've done a lot of work with like short stack math and I can tell you a lot of people play short stacks horribly and they play them. If you're playing against other regs and they assume they need to jam or fold, you would be amazed at how effective some like opens from like 12 and 14 X stacks are. So not like rejamming all in like, there's a lot of times like a guy opens from under the gun, you have 27 big blinds and a seven off in uh, the small blind. It's like technically the guy's opening enough hands you could jam, but there's just no point to do that in a WSOP main event because holding on to those 27 big blinds is far more valuable than taking that very thin edge right at that time. So I, I and for this reason, I don't, get into the like the three bet four bet five bet wars if you're playing like 40 tournaments in a day it might be in your best interest to push a very small edge and get very big stacks on a couple tournaments and go on in a wsop main event where i think there's actually uh profit wise a much greater profit to be made on later streets because people finally reach a breaking point or people just 
can't seem to fold when they know they can call, they can see your hand, and then unlike online, nobody gets to see theirs. They can just muck. I think it's way better just to flat in position and try to take money post-flop, whereas pre-flop, the guy who's been sitting there for hours and seeing you take down some pots and play pretty well, he opens from middle position. You three-bet. He and he has to like fold in front of you and admit weakness in front of you. He's way more likely to be amped up and to four bet you, and your three bet's going to become a lot less effective. And you don't really want to be pushing that kind of edge. Uh, you could; it's still going to make you money. But I think you think about how successful Phil Hellmuth, Negreanu, Seidel have been, and how rarely they like three bet four bet five bet play these like big pots and yeah you think of a lot of these live guys that have stayed really consistent and then you contrast that with the thousands of raise re-raise re-raise all in uh live uh online players and how many of them have really been consistent the guy i don't follow like live poker as much anymore but it, it seems to me it it seems to me that the few people who do seem to do really good have uh, quite a lot more card sense than most people and myself do. And it's not really, and they're still pushing microscopic edges and not being that consistent. And I, yeah. I think it's a little better to take those people to lighter streets and value bet mercilessly. Well, that's it. It's like a few years ago, like I remember Chris Moorman, um, you know, who I've interviewed on the podcast and stuff. And I'm sure I actually played against him in like the Sunday warm up once, and I was like, oh, fuck, you know, this is like a few years. I was like, oh, Moorman's on my table. That was like, you know, this big thing. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we were playing, and I just watched him, and it was so much pre flop, so aggressive. Like, someone's three bet him, he's four bet, and they're five bet, and he's jamming it in, you know? And I think he changed his game as well, you know? And that's something he said about his recent benchmark, you know, 10 million online winnings or whatever, earnings, however you want to put it. And uh, he's he's adapted his game throughout the years, and I don't think he played. You know, I've not seen him in the tournaments, or I, like, I've not played. You know, at a table with him since then. But I I think he's adapted and stuff as well. And like you say, it seems to be this current thing of like Benny Spindler, the EPT coverage. Like, say, I see it, friends sharing it all on Facebook all the time. Like six bet, seven bet, shot. You know, it's like I don't know. It's like poker's meant to be this. <laughs> And whereas you say, like, Seidel, Negrano, Helmuth, I can't recall even a hand or a YouTube clip of any of them six-betting or seven-bet bluffing. Right. You know? Ever, I think ever. the closest is maybe Ivy, uh, you know, with the Phil, Jacks, uh, Phil Jackson. Uh, what's his name? That was a, his probably, name. Was, probably, it probably wasn't a basketball coach. but uh, Yeah, uh, that's because you said Phil Jackson. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I remember who you talking about. Yeah, and he's six-bet on. But he's six-bet on the flop. You know what I mean? And it was, and he looked like annoyed, like, why are you pushing this, buddy? Like, like, I mean, if you're Ivy, you can, I think it's one of those things that looks sexy, but doesn't take that much thought. Like, you feel like a good, like, it's not even that much of an investment. A guy opens for 2x, you make it 5x on the button. Ooh, I am re-raising in position. I am such a fucking aggressive player. Come at me, bro. And it's like, you're investing five big blinds and win five big blinds. Yippee fucking skippy. Who cares? Like, yeah. it doesn't make you that big of a poker player. It doesn't. 
it's one of those things that like it feels cool it doesn't mean much of anything and now it's in vogue now their friends are like yeah i five bet jack seven suited i didn't think the guy had it and it's like well yeah man you got to push those pre-flop edges when are they don't even take it that far it's like well if you thought the guy didn't have it you know i mean everybody else does it on tv it can't be that bad this is why i take everything to the flop now I flat from like 12x stacks and people like just get pissed off. Like you're not allowed to do that. I'm like, okay, I, I, I think you're prepared. I, I mean, I think you're not prepared, but okay, whatever. And all the work we do, it, I can show you things in a one-on-one session. That I can show you how many times a guy puts himself in a post-flop situation where there is like no conceivable defense. And the guy is going to need to be jamming king high in order to be breaking even, and that is not in vogue. That is not cool. Shoving king high over a flop raise or a check raise on the turn or whatever is not something your friends are going to go, wow, that was that was a great play, man. They're going to go, what was wrong with you? You threw away your tournament. And most people are not going to be putting you in these spots. But if you watch a lot of these guys like uh, – I, I have not watched televised poker in years, but I was flabbergasted at how good Negranu played in a few tournaments that I watched. In all the spots he put you in, I could show you mathematically, like, this guy, the, the degree to which he is double-barreling here and how often he's going to need to defend versus this check raise Negranu did. It's just, it's going to be inconceivably hard. He would have to be... The only guys you see defending that wide are Isildur and people like that. But Joe Schmo off the street is not going to be able to know how to do that. And Negrano is even crazier because he couples it with these reads that I could never do in a million years. I get the basic ones that people can like teach me, but I don't have this like innate sense that he seems to have. But you can mathematically rule out a lot of things, but you... I can mathematically show you how to do these plays and they just work over and over and over again. And you compare that to like pre-flop where it's like, well, this is going to need to work 52% of the time. And if I'm lucky, this is going to work 55% of the time, but Ooh, big, scary, aggressive poker player. I am so good. Anyhow. Yeah. I, uh, it's, I always, it's, just, it's a testosterone war, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, I did all that crap too when I was younger, but it worked back then. Now it's like everybody, I mean, I remember I was the only guy who'd walk into the WSOP room. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to say, like, I used to be stoned and play that five-back, six-back crap all the time. And you know what? Back then it used to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. It worked online. It worked live. And then everybody started doing it, and I started getting my ass handed to me. And I was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't be high anymore when I play. <laughs> wow, what, a, what an amazing revelation. <laughs> but uh, And maybe I shouldn't like just try to push these like 2 to 5% edges all the time. And I should actually learn how to play post-flop. And yeah. it was crazy how much better it worked. If you watch on Pocket Fives Training, if you watch my WCOOP uh, chop win, whatever, you can see like we take it to post-flop a lot. And a lot of the other people were fantastic players, but even like, uh, th there's just nothing even I could do, even though I run the numbers like constantly. And I think I put in more hours at like studying poker than pretty much anyone I know. And there's just spots you put a guy in, there's just nothing he can do. Like mathematically, there's nothing 
he can do. And if you watch that hand history review, there's so many spots like that where it's like, if the guy's not like drop kick punting eight, eight, uh, 80 big blinds with like queen high, it's going to be very, very hard for him to defend. There's just no chance. There's no mathematical way for the guy to do it. And you, you start watching like, uh, when I watch like high stakes poker now and I watch Durr put pressure on people, like I can just open up my computer and go, Oh, this makes perfect sense. Now, when I watch Ivy or Negreanu, it just makes no sense because those guys are, are the savants. And then uh, Durr will do – Durr has done some bluffs where it's like just shut down the computer. You have no idea what's going on. But the, you start understanding a lot more. People are not defending as much as they need to be. Sorry, I'm a little excitable today, and I feel like I might be going on a little long based on the consistency of your answers being, yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. Is he done? Is he done? No, I call. <laughs> this is Ask Alex. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, technically. I, I know I can talk a lot, though. That's my thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. Okay. Next two questions are from the same guy, Stephen Brogan. All right. And thanks, Stephen, because he's been really trying to spread the word of one out or uh, gospel. He's been sharing it with all these friends and tweeting it. And, um, you know, he's, he's one of these older guys, one of our older listeners. And um, yeah, it's great to have you know support like that. So we've got two questions from oh, good. The second one's a bit of fun. Um, let's see the first one. If you cannot crush the micro stakes, is there any point in trying to move up? After all, the level of players at the next level might not be as loose or crazy as the micros, but they might be a lot better. <laughs> so he's ah. that's like I respect move up to where they respect your reasons ah, you, beat, you beat me to it and uh first of all brogan thank you so much for sharing the good word the good gospel i was gonna say but uh no thank you for helping us you know it's uh it's hard out there for a poker player now and we really appreciate all the support and i i really mean that from the bottom of my heart i really really appreciate all the people that spread the articles and all that it really helps out but yeah uh if you're not crushing the micro stakes, no, there's definitely that temptation. Like I just, uh, I just did a thing with my friends. You can check out the blog challenge, poker head rush. But I was telling my student, like, it, it's really important you have a bankroll that you are growing and you feel like you are playing from a place of winning. I turned, I never deposited, and I turned that into like a hundred thousand dollars within a year when I was 18 years old, because I just felt like I was playing from nothing the whole time. I felt like this wasn't my money. I still respected it. I always kept 200 uh, buy-ins and when it came to uh, tournaments and I, 100 buy-ins when it came to cash games, which, by the way, everybody at the time told me I was an idiot for. Like, you don't need that many. And then I made this massive bankroll. And then every then I started thinking I was God's gift to poker. And I started listening to everyone. I started playing with a smaller bankroll. And I lost all of it. I regrew it. I lost all of it. I regrew it. And it just kept going like that for years. And then I said to my student, you know what? I'm going to show you how fast you can go grow a bankroll. We're both going to start with $1,000. And we're going to have a race to who can get higher the fastest. And every couple of weeks, we have something like uh, this guy has to buy sushi dinner for uh, the other guy and all of his friends and blah, blah, blah. But and I, I'm back at the low stakes now. And if you can't beat these players, you cannot 
really hope to do well in mid-stakes because the mid-stakes players are really good now. There's a lot of guys who play mid-stakes for a living. Yeah, maybe a couple button opens will go through now, but when you take these guys to post-flop, it's they play a lot better. Now, and the micro-stakes, the problem with No Limit Hold'em that I don't really like, I don't know how much you play, Barry, but have you noticed that you don't see many players with, like, a screen name that says dot, 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 92, 93, 94. Have you noticed this? Yeah. I don't see many people like that. Is that just me, or have you noticed that too? No, it's it's a funny thing. I was actually thinking about screen names uh, the other week. And when was it? it was, I was on William Hill. I was after playing the, the one-outer tournament. I sort of splashed around a bit. And I was thinking that there wasn't that, you know, the, the change in screen, screen name sort of things. Right, right. Oh. It, I, the other thing I noticed is, like, every time there's a year after a guy's screen name, it's close to the year I was born. It's like 88, 87, 86, 85, yeah. 89, or 1990. And then I was at a table, and it, it, this is when it finally dawned on me. There was a kid who was, like, something, something, 94, and there was another kid that was something, something, 93. And I was like, I never see screen names like this. And yeah. I was thinking maybe that's because these guys came in later and you get to the micro stakes now and everybody's just re-raising, having a good time. And No Limit Hold'em is the cruelest game in the world. It just guts you when you're, when you're wrong or when you make a bad read or when you get sucked out. That I bet a lot of people just, you know, they get swept up in the bad play. Uh, I mean, a bad play. Well, the bad play, you know, when people are raising, re-raising, you have to risk all your chips and then you lose. And it's like, this sucks. I don't want to play this anymore. And it's really only the guys who started when things were a lot easier that kind of, may, you know, have the skill to like uh, keep going or they have this foolish notion that it's going to go back to the way it was or they're just running off of some run good at the beginning and feeling like maybe it's going to go back to that. But yeah, there's a steep learning curve when you first come into poker. My, the, the reason I went on that rant is I, I'm believing like perhaps the learning curve is like way, is like way higher than it is now. And somebody getting into the micro six could conceivably have this question. Like, why don't I just move up? Because I don't know what the hell anyone's doing right now, but, you got to watch. There's a lot of good micro six stuff now. When I started in poker, the only people making training videos were like, you know, the playing the highest stakes, everything. And nobody even respected a guy who played like $10 tournaments. And I was only playing like 10 and $20 tournaments. And when I told people that, you know, I was a professional player at 18 and I, I, I never discussed how much money I was making, but it was substantial at that time. When I told people I played $10, $20 tournaments, you would have thought I just, you know, it's like I, I'm playing tiddlywinks for money. I'm playing Yahtzee for money or something like that. I play, it, nobody believed it could even be possible. There was no education about it at all. The learning curve is steeper now, but you got to put in your hours. And you, there's so much information out there now to go with that advanced learning curve. You can learn so much there's so much great i was just on card runners the other day there's so much great low stake stuff i was like where the hell was this when i was starting like this took me five years to learn and let me try to think of some of the instructors well i i i'd be it'd be very weird if i didn't bring up myself because i have to sell a product as well but on pocketvice training there is a low stake sweat series coming out where i do talk 
a lot about I you're gonna watch me play like a lot of lower six tournaments, nothing higher than like fifty dollars and a lot of like ten dollar tournaments and stuff like that. Uh, that's gonna be coming out soon. Uh, I'm doing this. I I'm seeing I'm testing out a theory right now that you can run up. Uh, the the number I have in my mind is a hundred thousand dollars, but God knows if I'm gonna keep to this as long that long because of the number of hours that it's gonna take. But I want to show you can run up more money at low and mid stakes than you can at high stakes now securely. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't done that well at like high stakes on poker stars. I I could say that's uh, me running bad, but I also think it's like the other people are just really good. And there's a lot of really good players. And when we play the high six games, I don't really, uh, I don't feel like my edge is that huge. And, you know, you, you make a few mistakes as any human is bound to do. And maybe you don't have like the Faraz Jaka intense uh, f- focus and stuff like that. It, it does get a little harder. And even like breaking even or making like, I, I've made some money, but you know, you could you could break it down to just, okay, if I hadn't won that W coupe, it's going to be pretty hard. Whereas when I played lower and mid stakes, low stakes, the same stakes you want to skip right now, I built more money than I could ever believe. My whole life changed because there's so much money at lower stakes. And it's a lot more fun. It's a lot less stressful. And I started my horse on this, and he's just been kicking ass. I said, don't play anything you don't have 100 buy-ins for. And like, he has unlimited reloads. So you, I put $1,000 in your account. You can't play anything higher than $10 tournaments. And now he just feels way comfortable because he has, you know, he just has unlimited shells to fire into these games. And move up when you, uh, when, when you get another 100 or 200 buy-ins. Uh, if you can replenish your bankroll, you can be a little more loose with that. But once you build a bank, big bankroll, that requires much more protection than a small bankroll. And move up with that, and that is a much better – because even if you do move up because they're going to respect your raises here, you're going to feel very insecure because, man, I wasn't even beating the micro six. What am I doing here? And it's going to be – it becomes a lot more difficult. And I rambled about a lot of things there, Barry. Was there anything I need to clarify? I would just say, again, like drawing on my personal experience with it, before I got the lesson and stuff, I went through that. Of uh, these, you know, playing the smaller stakes games, you know, eight dollar tournaments, ten dollar tournaments, and encountering, you know, the people busting your aces and moaning about, oh, some guy jack seven suit, blah blah blah. And what it comes down to is, I started playing the one eighty mans on stars and multi tabling them, and just really took off because you were getting a volume in with them, and you actually want these players playing bad, you know, that people say, oh, the micros, they're full of clowns and stuff. You want to play against them. My advice would be from personal experience with the 180 mans, don't bluff at all, ever. (laughs) Uh, Put in the volume and play very ABC. And it almost makes the money yourself. Like, without trying to say, you know, anything else. I think if you just went and played, like, for a laugh, the top 10 Helmuth hands or whatever, um, didn't bluff and you know, use the HUD to pick spots on raising and stealing the blinds, etc. I think you could you'd be a winning ROI at the, the 180s, all the way up to, I'd say, the $8, and including the 3 rebuy even. Um, there are a lot more regs now in them than when I was playing them, you know, heavily. 
But that's the sort of mentality. I think if you go into these microstakes and you start playing the garbage like them and, and in the situations and calling three bets and stupid all-ins, you know, for 100 big blinds with, you know, ace-jack suit or whatever and things like that, you know, people go into these cash games and sit with, you know, f- you know 10 NL, sit with $10, and some guy sticks it all in, 100 big blinds, and they're calling off with, you know, like a small pair and things like that. And th- I think they can get sucked into it when you're playing the micro stakes, you know, and just treat it like you say, just throwing money at it. But I think there is money to be made at the smaller stakes uh, if you're multi-tabling and you're disciplined enough to not let the time when the guy busts your aces with Jack 7 to not let it annoy you, you know? Yeah, no, I definitely, I'm trying to prove it right now. And to make this guy feel better, I've played low stakes for like three days and I've had two final tables, but that's like the exact same number of final tables I can expect when I play like hundreds and up when I'm multi-table. And I've gotten my ass handed to me the last like two sessions. So it's hard for anybody. The other thing is don't be afraid. You said something that reminded me of my roots, the Hellmuth starting hands. I went into a cash game when I was like 16. I had no, I was the biggest donkey when it came to poker. Everybody kicked my ass. There was this kid in my neighborhood. He was a basketball player. He hardly even played poker. And he just, he would wait for me to get all the money from like the real, like uh, the, the real, like uh, dead money in the game. Or, uh, and I, I hate calling them dead money because they were all my friends, but they were, you know, they were there to gamble. And I understood like set second pair isn't the greatest hand all the time and that was all i knew right i was as big of a donkey as anyone and there was like one kid who knew a thing or two about poker and he would take my money every fucking time we played i would get fifty dollars which was like all the money in the world to me at the time i was like 15 or 16 he'd just sit there for three hours and take it from me and i went into a game one day i read Helmuth's starting hands and I was like, this is all I'm going to play. I'm going to play these 10 starting hands. And I kicked the game's ass. And every time I deviated from that strategy, I had no idea what I was doing. I lost money. So I started just playing this super tight strategy. And when I got online, I borrowed money from a friend. I like won a sit and go. I sent him back the money I borrowed. And that was all I played from. And I played the lowest stakes you can imagine. I'd have thousands of dollars and I'd be afraid to move up to the $10 sit and goes. And everybody was like, oh my God, you know, you should play more hands. You should play higher stakes. What, you know, what are you doing? You know, I mean, th- this, it's just not exciting to them. So they don't under understand. Take it seriously. This is a money-making endeavor, but it's not going to happen overnight. And the only thing I had going for me when I was younger was not intelligence. It was not instinct. I had neither of those. It was, I didn't have anything else. I had nobody, I had no money for college. I had no prospects. I didn't have a home to go home to. And I wasn't afraid to take this seriously because I had no other plan. I had no backup plan. Once I lost that money, I didn't know if I could get any again. And that really made me discover this is how you have to do it. In poker, you have to take it as seriously as possible. It, micro stakes might feel like this is tough, man. It's not as easy as it was when I started. I would probably get killed. The, a lot of guys don't want to admit this, but there is a good chance I would have gotten killed if I started as trying to be a professional poker these days. And there, it, 
there's a really good chance I could have never like come into the situation I've come into now, which I'm very blessed to be in because the games are just so damn hard. But at the same time, there's so much more information and so many of you guys are way more educated than I ever was when I started. Hell, you're more educated than I was five years after I started. All the information is out there. You just have to treat it like a real discipline. You have to start every day with an hour training uh, video, taking notes, or reading a book, making goals. I'm going to try to improve on this. Mark the hands and hold a manager. You know, I focus on I'm going to try this one steal today. I'm going to focus on this one statistic. Mark the hands, review it at the end, and go in tomorrow. And the money needs to be secondary. You're never going to make money at this game if you're focusing on it, which is the weirdest, which is the greatest irony of it all because this is a purely money-making endeavor. And people just don't – once you stop focusing on the money, you start making a lot more of it. Go in to become the best poker player you can be. And if you're playing with, if you're playing a tournament big enough that you feel like really bad when you lose, it's too high, it's too big of a tournament. You're not going to be doing the crazy things that come into your head. You're not going to be trying your original ideas if the money means too much to you. Try to have 200 buy-ins in your bankroll. That's really easy to do. You can make the money. You can save the money. And always play with 200 binds because even the worst players, you know, if you're only playing with 0.5% of your bankroll in any individual tournament, it is going to be close to impossible to bust you if you're trying to learn. And then your bottom end is very limited, but your high end is the moon because you can just keep moving up every time you get those 200 binds. And it's a grind and it takes. I rarely worked less than 60, 80 hours a week when I was coming up, and I did it for years, but there's no degree required. You get to make the money in U.S. dollars anywhere on earth, and there's a lot of people living very well from poker now. It can be done. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it, it, you're right. It could still be done today if, with all the information and stuff out there, you know, if you really want it and love it, which I think is important. You know, you gotta, you got to really want to do it. It's not easy money. Yeah, and I mean, you look at all these Eastern European countries, the kids love strategy games because they grow up with chess. It was like a big deal in their culture. Then they go into a much easier strategy game, poker, and then if they make, you know, they're if they make like $400 a month, they're making more than their poor mother is making working 12 hours a day at a bakery. And they start making a couple thousand a month, and it's like, all right, mom doesn't have to work at the bakery, you know? I can buy the good coffee at the grocery store. I can buy a good jacket when I walk in. And then they start making $5,000, $10,000. Then they like they get a big bank and they make like 50000 and they can buy a house in some of these countries. These yeah. are the guys that work their ass off. And it, I talk to so many Eastern Europeans that have bought their mom a house, have gotten their mom out of their tough situation, have worked – and it's the most invigorating thing ever because these guys have been playing for one or two years. And there's some of them that ask questions like I've never thought of. And it's like, holy shit, like these guys are coming up, you know what I mean? And furthermore, it's proof it can be done. But you, it's harder for us in like first world countries who, I mean, I can imagine, what, what, what currency do you use in Scotland? Is it the, um, you use the pound. So yeah. ma- making money in poker kind of feels like 
it, it kind of feels like jerking off, right? It's just like, ah, this is pleasurable, but it's not going to add to anything, right? <laughs> because no, no, seriously, like our, when I have a, pro, I've never had a, when you meet professional players from Norway, it's like, why? You know what I mean? Like it costs $20 to buy a beer in your country. Like yeah. if you make 50000 a year, it doesn't really mean much of anything. So a, a part of that is your socioeconomic background. How much is the money going to be worth to you? And are you going to fight for that? And it's really, it is very difficult if you're in Great Britain or if you're in Scotland or if you're in Norway or you're in some country where the money is not worth as much. So uh, anyways, I'm ranting about a lot of different things. Should, should we get in another question? Yeah, but that's an important point you make. Like yourself, you live in Costa Rica, where cost of living's you know cheaper than America and Britain, and these guys Latvia and stuff. I mean, I was in Latvia one new year and it was ridiculously cheap, you know. So if you're grinding the one eighties and making fifteen thousand dollars a year, I mean that that's huge money there. You're a killer, man. You're like yeah, and I I mean, there's this street. I I met my wife and I fell in love with my wife, but there's like. There was a strategic reason I went to Costa Rica. It was my, my whole career coming up. I was paying for a lot of different people's rent and I was taking care of different people. And I was, you know, and it, the expenses in I lived in Seattle, which is just freakishly expensive. Like I like for the rent of like a two bedroom apartment in Seattle, I could like rent a mansion in Costa Rica. And finally, one day I just said, I'm moving to Costa Rica. And it's been like the money I get, you know, I, I went on a downswing here of, I've been on several six figure downswings between cash games and tournaments, but I went on one here, by the way, I've gotten out of all of them, but I went on one here and it was like the least stressful one because it, it, it was, you know, if I just put in a few lessons, if I do a little work outside of the game, I can always pay my rent. Whereas if you're, you know, if you're living in a first world country, like a really first world country, that might not be a luxury you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, the last question is, as I say, it's from Stephen Brogan again. And I don't know, but these have been doing the rounds recently on Facebook. It was an old, uh, I think it's, I don't think it's going anymore. It was an old game show called Golden Balls. And basically the end part of the game show is there's an amount of money different each show, like 5,000, 10,000. I've seen one for 100,000 pounds. And there's two players, and there's a ball, there's split or steal, and you have to take one. And if both players take split, then they split the money equally 50-50. If one picks steal and one picks split, then the person that's picked steal gets all the money, and the guy that said split gets nothing. And if they both put steel, they both get zero. Holy shit. To, uh, Liv Berry was actually on the game show, you know, for a few years ago. Um, I, I'm not sure the exact date, but I think it was before she was, like, in the limelight, you know, as poker or whatever. And um, it was £6,000, and she was up against this guy with, like, kids and stuff. And the guy went split, and she went steel. Oh, my <laughs> and God. And got like, herself. So everyone's like, oh, what a, she's a bitch, this, that. <laughs> I mean, our reputation isn't great in the poker world anyway just now, but... Wait, wait, uh, whoa, 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 what happened with her? I don't I don't pay attention to anything, tell me. No, I, I don't really either, but I heard some stories that were going around, like, Twitter and that. I mean, uh, Kevin McPhee, I think, I think he was uh, seeing her um, at some point, and he came out and, like, 
lots of things. The truth, like I, I don't know the actual oh, content. All right, you don't have to say if you don't want. Yeah, it. I just, I like to say, I don't really read much poker gossip or anything anymore either. So I couldn't really give a shit, you know. Yeah. But uh, it's like there was whatever. A lot of people. I think she gets a lot of cable manner in that. A bit like Vanessa Seltz, you know, sort of like snippy or whatever with people. Um, so the question was, uh, what would your strategy be like now um, or, or when your financial situation was a bit different? You know, would you split or steal on a game show like that? Oh, man, that's a, whew, that's a tough. Well, it, it's one of those things like, okay. Like, okay, it, okay, there's two different answers. There's the morally correct answer and there's the mathematically correct answer. And I'm not that good at math, so I'm trying to think. I, I think you're, I, I think it's a pretty like equal EV game, whatever you select, if you know no information, right? It's just a flip. Like, is there any advantage to picking I guess if you pick split and the other guy, no, if the other guy picks split, you get half. If you click, if you get steal, you get the whole thing. So, okay, I guess mathematically you have to go for steal, right? Like, yeah, I was thinking that because if you click steal, you, you win 100%. So, or if he, if he clicks split, you, you, you win 100%. <laughs> if he says steal, you get zero. So it's all or nothing with steal. You know, it's all where the split is half or nothing. So I mean, if you're going up with a guy with like a wife and like kids, it's like it, there's no other play by the professional gambler than to pick steel because he's probably going to pick the correct, it, it, not the correct answer, but the correct answer for him, which is, oh, uh, you know, I am a, I am a guy who can take care of a family, who can take care of other people. I like taking care of other people. I think this person would like to help take care of me and I'd like to help take care of her. So yeah. I'm going to split. So your obvious play is to exploit them. Uh, right now, if it were 6,000 pounds, I, I don't know. I, I would, I would have a bad taste in my mouth doing that. For some reason in poker, it's like the guy bought in, you know, he knew what he was getting into. I don't really care about taking his money, but I, I don't know. Do they pay to get on this game show, or do they just get selected randomly? Just, you just apply, you know, and if you get selected to go on the game show, you go on it like any other game show sort of thing. But I was thinking they get, like, 10, 15 seconds to speak to each other about oh. trying to... <laughs> like, right, I promise we're going to... Obviously, the, the whole 15 seconds is them going to say, right, I swear I'm going to split sort of thing. So um, I suppose reading ability, you know, in terms of, like, what, taking any wow. tells... And think they're not going to do it it's an interesting game show you should watch some of the clips i watched one just when uh, he posted that and it was a uh, hundred thousand and oh the guy God. like the guy was like a real family guy whatever and he went split and this girl went steal and like took all the money and the guy was actually in tears like physical tears oh you know my god that is the most off i hate shit like this i'm <laughs> yeah. not gonna lie like in poker it's like if you make a final table of a tournament, everybody's getting paid something. Like in an online cash game, I don't have to see who I'm taking the money from, so I can conveniently forget I've probably robbed quite a few people. Or not robbed, yeah. I've taken a lot of their money, but sorry, my voice is a little scratchier today. <laughs> I, If I'm seeing the, the wife, the kids, and it's like, like I, I, 
like having an extra 3000 pounds would certainly be nice, but it wouldn't change my life. And the guy, I, I thought the guy was telling me the truth and he was going to go for a split. I would go for steel. No, I don't know. <laughs> like, I honestly, I think I would end up splitting just because this is such a weird situation, but definitely yeah. at any other and because now I have, I took care of a baby yesterday and I know what a huge pain in the ass is. it is. It was really fun. My, my wife's friend had no, no one to take care of the kid. And I said, I'll take care of the kid. And th- this kid just played me for a sucker. He knew I'd carry him at any time. And I ended up reading my Kindle standing up for half the day. And I was like, this is hard. I, the power was out in my house which is why I offered to take care of the baby because I had, no, I had nothing to do anyway. But I was like, I could not imagine having a job, having to pay someone to take care of this kid because I know how expensive. Does this show take place in Britain? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I'd give the guy the money because, like, Jesus. Like, it's it's really hard there now, right? <laughs> yeah, part especially, of yeah, especially for the kid. I mean, this is one of those ways, like, you can give charity without – giving charity you know what i mean like uh right now like having it's actually weird you asked that today because after taking care of that kid yesterday i'd be like give the guy all the money like i don't like i would if i went split and the guy went steal i'd be like good play like well done you really tricked me i did not expect that from the family guy right and but if it were a hundred thousand i'd go steal every fucking time (laughs) just like i Oh, God, that's a weirder play, though, because if you trust the guy, you're, like, giving up 50. If you don't trust the guy, oh, my God, that is such a sick, fun game. I know, it really is, because I was thinking about my answer was always going to be, like, deal or no deal. You know, you look at the EV, there's, like, 15,000 bucks, and there's, like, 75,000 bucks. If you're absolutely broke, it doesn't matter what the EV is, 15,000 pounds at that moment in time is going to help you out in your life and stuff. So right. you have to you have to give up the the long term EV for the short you know for the money. You you have to do it. And mm-hmm. um, you're not going to flip coins. You know what I mean? Or or not even flip coins. You're not even going to take fifteen thousand and put it on a two to one or whatever. You know to try and get it a bigger prize. Mm-hmm. You're going to take fifteen thousand. But with this game, it is really a moral like a moral thing. And also, if you trust them and if you really buy it, because Otherwise, um, like you say, if you say split and then they go steal, then they get it all. So I suppose you could sort of say the downside is you've went split. So if they go split, then you both get 50-50. But if they go steal, oh, well, you must have needed the money sort of more. or You know, you could like look at it like that. Well, it's like, I mean, like if a guy took like, okay, so the guy EV-wise would be taking 3,000 pounds from me, I'd be like, you know, dude, you need it more. I don't have kids. Like, I li- I make my money in U.S. dollars, and I live in Costa Rica. You know, what I mean, you know steal, what I mean. Steal and then maybe give give him like two grand after the yeah, show. Right. <laughs> yeah, give him out. All right, here, buddy. Here, buddy. You know, good luck to you next time. But yeah, you know, take the family on holiday or something. Any time before I met my wife, I probably would have stolen every single time. I think I would have been so unconvincing a liar, though. I'm pretty sure the other person would have 
gone steel too, just to say, well, cover their ass. Listen, I know it's a small sample size, but both of the videos I've watched, it's both been a woman stealing every time. <laughs> so there, there's maybe a message there as well. In Great Britain, maybe an even greater message. Yeah. I, I have never heard men complain more about women than British men. So maybe there's something to be said there, but uh, except for American men and more specifically myself when we're yeah. speaking of American women. But I don't I think now if it were like the wife, if I see this guy with like a wife and kids and stuff, especially if it were like a hundred thousand, I, I, I just it's one of those things like. Oh, my God, that would be tough. No, yeah. I. I, I it's really easy for me to say it right now because there's nothing on the line and, you know, I'm not going to receive an extra 50,000 pounds if I really did see the guy was earnest. I was like, well, all I got to do is click steal and take take all of it. But I, I think I've had a lot of money before and it really didn't change anything. And I was pretty miserable. And... I don't know how, you know, this is a game show and the chances of us getting there are one in a million. And like, if we were like, God, that's weird because it's like, it, it, I would not, if it were like, okay, that, that hundred thousand pounds one, right? Is mm-hmm. let, let's take a hypothetical. It's the hundred thousand pounds one. It's a family guy. He's got the kid in the stroller, the wife looking on earnestly you know, and you know they're thinking about, like, it, they seem like a responsible couple. They don't seem like the kind who are going to go buy 20 flat screens the next day with the money, right? And they're, yeah. you know, they've got a lot of, it, maybe, like, student debt or something. They're actually doing something for the world. Like, he's a he's a physician. He works with, like, at-needs kids or something like that. I would know this poor sucker is going to go split every time because he knows the world is a good place because he is the one contributing it, it to a good place and I could give him a rude awakening right here <laughs> but, and just take his money I don't think I could sleep at night anymore you know what I mean I'd be like that family you know we could have both walked away with a lot of money you know what I mean and then I don't know. I'm a big believer in karma. There's this thing in me that would be like the second I click steal here, he's going to do the same thing. He's going to pick up something. And I, I don't That's a really hokey way to put it. But like, obviously, the mathematical, if he were just a normal person, I'd go steal every time because I wouldn't uh, I, I wouldn't really care much about the money. If it were like 50,000 pounds, I'm pretty sure my wife would kill me if I risked it because... 50,000 pounds would still do a lot for me right now. But if it were like 3,000 pounds I were putting up, and would be like, yeah, run it. Like, let's go. Let's see what happens. But if I saw the guy across from me and it was like, I would consider it like not even my job. I'm there. You know what I mean? That's weird because like I could never imagine a situation in poker where I'd pass. Like never. It, I have some understanding in poker if like this guy was dumb enough to sit at this table he's going to get what he deserves. Like, not dumb enough, but, like, if he was naive enough to sit here and think he was my friend, there is something in me that I want to clean this guy out. I I don't like 
watching the guy walk away, but there's something in me that's been built since I was 15 years old that really takes a perverse schadenfreuden pleasure from it. I don't know if that's actually a word, but you know that yeah. word in German? Uh, yeah. I love that word. It's an awful word, but I love that word. It means pleasure from pain, another person's pain for anyone who doesn't know. But like, I take some really sick pleasure out of busting poker players. Like, even if they're a family man or something, they are gambling and I don't care. And I do not condone, this sounds really weird, but I hate casinos. I don't like gambling. I don't, I used to like gamble on sports and stuff like for fun, but like when I was like high and I needed some reason to watch something all my friends were watching, I was bored out of my mind. I don't even understand like watching. I don't like watching other sports because it's like, this is a time waste. This is like, I mean, like I understand like you're watching your team, you're passionate about something, but this literally does nothing for me. And just gambling when you don't know you have an edge to me is like the height of human stupidity. But if this is a game show and like the guy has just come in and you know, he's just a family man. He doesn't even think of it as gambling. He didn't put any money down. He thought it'd be like a fun thing to do. And he put, he doesn't gamble or do anything like that. Taking money from that guy just feels wrong in some weird, weird way. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a good game show. I used when it used to be on. I used to enjoy it, but um, as I say, I'm not sure if it's you know still running. What, what would so, you, um, What would you do? I, I would judge it, you know, as you say, it's easy to say it now. It's all in the heat at the moment. Depends on the contestant. Depends on the way you think they're going to play it, you know, when you're speaking to them and they're trying to convince you. some You might just get a feeling like, nah, there's no way he's going to do this. And So I wouldn't have a set strategy going in. If I'm being ruthless, the set strategy going in would be uh, steal. Just steal 100% of the time because that way you're either getting 100% or you're getting nothing, you know? Right, right, It's right, like right. the other person's not going to rip you off sort of thing. So it's like an ego thing as well, you know? But wait a minute. Isn't, isn't, there like a, isn't there like a game theory situation where you and a friend are like taken into an interrogation and they do the, like, you get one year if you turn on your friend and you get five years if uh, he turns on you and you don't do anything and mathematically you're both supposed to not turn on them isn't right. isn't that the thing so mathematically if you can trust the other guy your play is to split because then for sure you get uh, you get something right um, yeah yeah and yeah. it's like there's no chance of losing losing if you both go split so probably this isn't as even if i want to be cutthroat i could possibly make this an excuse right <laughs> because it's like if you both go steal if you get the because I was just thinking, if the guy, if you're talking to the guy and you get the idea this guy is disingenuous and he's going steal, you have no other play. If you go split, you lose everything. If you go steal, you lose everything. So actually, the guy's being a huge ass and sinking both of you, like, by picking that, right? So mm -hmm. if we're thinking of both people as, like, one player, the dumbest thing you could do is to pick steal, either one of them they would have to pick split because then you get 100% of the winnings. And it just happens to be divided among you. Now, if you're sitting across the way and you know the guy is going to click split, you have a very tough moral decision. But perhaps you could... Oh, man, that is... 
That is an awesome question. <laughs> Thank you, Bro- Brogan. Is that yeah, Brogan. Yeah. Brogan sounds like a old black guy at a gym that tells you you're not getting enough reps in, which I know yeah. is not this guy, but like yeah. uh, Brogan's Heroes or something. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm freaking you out a little more than normal today, Barry. Uh, yeah, you are. I'm quite worried. I'm going to say. I'm just pe- pressing the panic button. Just like, no, I just, as I say, where we're talking, you know, no point in us shouting over each other. And uh, it is Ask Alex, Alex. For sure, for sure. Whoa. But that is it. You've had your chance. <laughs> I just, uh, I just fell. Do you hear that? No. Oh my God. I, <laughs> the carpet came out from under me. I slipped. Anyway. Uh, you can keep that in. Yeah. If you would like. I will. <laughs> wow, that was weird, man. That's never happened. Uh, anyhow. Okay, Doc. Um, well, that's it. That's all the questions done. So just to wrap it up, uh, remember the next one com tournament is the 20th of October. It's on William Hill Poker. All the details are on oneouter.com. Get yourself an account set up and register for that. $5 entry, added prizes. Uh, join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash oneouter. And if you want coaching lessons, Alex is going to give you his email in a minute. If you want a training site, then our strategy partners are PokerXFactor.com. And you get $70 off the sign-up if you enter one out of 70. That's O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-7-0. And a few of you signed up last month, so let me know if there's any problems or issues with your memberships and stuff or any feedback at all, good or bad. And I'll pass it on to the guys at PokerXFactor. Alex, uh, you're closing. Hey, guys, uh, write me. I promise I'm not this hyper all the time, and I do I do only talk about you during the lessons, and I only talk about how to improve your game, and we get a lot done. Hit me up at assassinautocoaching at gmail.com. If you want to get to work on your game, get, get you to that next level. And uh, check me out. Uh, check <coughs> – excuse me. Check me out on Twitter at TheAssassinato on Facebook dot com slash assassinato a lot of articles go up all the time and check out pokerheadrush.com we have a lot of articles that go up all the time and that's where my daily blog is and there's a lot of free poker content so if you're not sold on getting a private lesson with me that's cool just check out there's a ton of free stuff i try to give out more free stuff than any other poker coach because I mean, you guys are work it, wor- worth it. <laughs> you work it too, but you guys are worth it. You know what I mean? You guys have supported me. Your patronage does a lot for me and my family, and I really appreciate it. So there's a lot of free stuff out there for you guys if you want to check it out. And on that note, uh, that's episode seven done. Get your questions in for episode eight, and uh, hopefully see a lot of you in the one-hour tournament. And that's it. Cheers. Cheers.